Just before we get into it, I need to remind you that the Football Index podcast is supported by footballindextrader.co.uk, the best site for in-depth scouting and trading strategy. It's challenging times for traders right now and FITs, detailed analysis and strategy guides are helping hundreds of traders plan for success in the weeks and months ahead. And he's busy highlighting the value that has opened up in the choppy market. As an exclusive offer for podcast listeners, you can give the site a try with 25% discount on your first month with code FIG25. Hello and welcome back to the Football Index Podcast, episode 134. I'm joined by one returning guest and one debutant in today's episode. The debutant is the widely renowned and regarded as the Scottish Football Indexer at Hibby Index or Football Index Scotland. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, very well, mate. Lovely and sunny up here in Edinburgh today, so makes a big difference. How about yourself? <laughs> Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. It's obviously trying times. The sun makes it a little bit more bearable. I think I've noticed that lockdown is a bit harder when the sun isn't out. Yeah, excellent, mate. So I've been working from home for the last six, seven weeks now, enjoying the sun. It's actually starting to appear now in Scotland. So Yeah, good times. <laughs> good times indeed. Why don't you give people a little bit of information about yourself, your Football Index journey, and what's been happening since you last appeared on the podcast? Yeah, so that was quite a while ago. I can't even remember. I think we were episode I can't remember 94, either. how long that is ago. I started at the back end of the World Cup in 2018. I think it was July of that year. I started to dip my toe in slowly. It took a while to, to really find my approach and played about with it for a few weeks and months until I started to understand the platform a bit more. I suppose the market's changed so much over that period, over that 18 plus months. So my approach is adapted on a quite a really regular basis. Um, along the way, we've had the youth hype, we've had PB focus, in-play, dividend craziness and various other in-between hype growth areas. So yeah, I think for the last six months, I've been fairly ageist. I think the, the market um, in general has been that way. So players 25 years or younger typically still have some older players, but really no one above 30. At the moment, so I'm really just building up stars of the future and dividend hopefuls, not necessarily with the current matrix in mind, because I do think that'll change, but it's a case of building them up, stocking them up young and hoping they do well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just looking right now, you're on episode 34, which is about 40 episodes ago, that's 40 weeks, nearly a year, so a lot can change in that time. We are also joined by another guest, the debutant, FI Nature Boy. Hello, Fig, hello, Scotland. Pleasure to be here. Very excited. Long time listener, first time guest. <laughs> we met at the, I think it was in the inaugural Football Index quiz and we did all right, didn't we? That's right, we did. Yeah, we got put on a team together. And I think the perception that we had from it was that we were robbed blind by bad judging and by the fact that Opta had a team, which was clearly unfair. Yeah, I, uh, to this day, if I mean any of the guys at Football Index are listening, to this day, I will hold that grudge against you. We didn't even get what score we got. No, no, no. Hopefully the next one will be um, better run. Well, you did quite well in the, the quiz that me and Panda hosted, didn't you? Yeah. I don't know if that was by, by luck or something. Because Where did you come again? Second. Oh, but wow. it was, Look at that. It was a sporting second because I remember that I thought it was going to be, okay, let's have a nice Saturday night having a bit of a quiz. And then Panda hits us with 10 questions of doom. 
<laughs> and uh, my world fell apart. But it turns out it happened for everyone else as well. So it was kind of yeah. best of a bad bunch, I think. Mm, I think it was, I don't know how many points there were available, like 60 or so. And somewhat the best was 44, which was amazing. Yeah, yeah that shows it was you. really, really amazing. He was, he was quality. I had to check with some sources as to whether or not that lad had cheated, but I was assured that he's like a, a quiz master. Apparently he goes around pubs and just like wins every football quiz there is. So uh, uh, not a bad person to lose to, huh? Yeah, I'll take that then. That's happy with that. <laughs> I mean, our first miscellaneous question is actually to you. Have you done the RAF five miles of death? I mean, why don't you give us a bit of context? You've got a very interesting background, don't you, Nature Boy? <laughs> right. So short answer, no, I haven't. Long answer. What is it? <laughs> so what it is is right. I had to look it up myself. So that's how little I know about this. So the five miles of death is something which is done by the RAF regiment. Now the RAF regiment, they are a group of soldiers who are part of the Royal Air Force, and they get an awful lot of stick from. So I think the guy who asked this was Ratty Fi. He's either in the forces or ex forces, I'm sure. And it's a bit of banter against them. So <laughs> the RAF regiment, they hold themselves in quite high regard. But they are looked down upon by the army, by the Royal Marines. And the reason why is because they're perceived as being people who just guard aircraft. And that's essentially their main job. They do a lot of other stuff as well. But their main role is something called force protection. And what force protection is, so you've got an airfield. You might have a place like Afghanistan. And you need, and you've got a lot of high value assets there. So you need people who are specialized in defending those aircraft, you know, because you've got 100 million pound aircraft. If that gets like blown up or if you know, someone like, damages it, that's a lot of money it's going to cost us. It's going to be we're not going to be able to fight the war as well as you might want to. So you've got specialized soldiers who defend those. But then the perception is they're not going out beyond the wire, as the term is, actually engaging with them and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, <laughs> so there's, a lot of, there's a lot of mickey taking that goes on with them. They, in order to become someone in the RF regiment, you've got to go through like a whole series of uh, you know, whole course, lots of training, you know, in the mud, guns, that kind of stuff, you know, that kind of thing. And there's a video doing it, doing around online, which is where uh, some troop commander is talking to the lad. He's saying, right, this is your five miles of death. This is where you get to complete your course and get to become in the Royal Irish Regiment. And he bigs it up as being something very difficult. But the army and the Royal Marines, they think it's, you know, that's like week two or three for them. So they think we have it very easy in the RAF, and whereas they have it much tougher, which I'm perfectly happy to admit. I was in the regiment. I was a pilot. So the idea of getting muddy, you know, sleeping out under the stars to me was, absolute anathema we're in the hotels minimum four stars so i'll take that one fine fair enough i think that's enough raf for one day i mean aaron palace has a has a question and i suppose we can open this up to you as well scotland but he does at you nature boy for some strange reason who would you say are the four horsemen of fi twitter i'll go first on that one because i know what the reference is from aaron there so right <laughs> again bit of background so my, what you call like Avatar, my nickname, Nature Boy, is a, it's the nickname or it's the gimmick of a wrestler and his name is Ric Flair. And Ric Flair was a wrestler, he's retired now, in the 1980s, 70s, 90s, he had a long career. And as part of a stable that he was in, the stable was like a group of wrestlers and they all worked together to beat up other wrestlers. And they were called the Four Horsemen and they used to hold their fingers up, making a four. And so they were very famous and they, they won a lot of titles, that kind of thing. So as a wrestling reference is what he's doing there. What I won't say is, you know, why is a certain person on Twitter like Tully Blanchard or Arn Anderson? Because no one's going to get that apart from a few people. But I'll use this opportunity to say, you know, who I think are really useful people to follow on Twitter. I think that's where the question's going. And so <laughs> here's my recommendations. As someone who is not hugely on Twitter all the time, not got a massive amount of followers on my account. So I like to follow a few other people who I think are giving some really good advice. 
And so what I say that if there's anyone listening to this and they've got loads and loads of good accounts, I'm going to say present company accepted as well because obviously everyone's following you two guys. But it's just that people who I think really help me out. Buzzing Paul's one because I think the perspective that he gives is different. The analysis that he can do is very different to where I come from, which we might come to later a bit more about, like sentiment and hibernate kind of thing. But his analysis and the stuff he puts out that really useful, I find. FI Ben's another one as well, the, the kind of the, the easy to read, drilling down into data, easy to understand conclusions, definitely some to recommend following as well. You had him on a couple of weeks ago, FBI trader, new to the whole thing, but I think we'd all agree, particularly what he's been doing with MB, I've not seen it before. And some of the understandings that he's coming up with and some of the insights, very good to pay attention to. And the last one, the fourth of my four horsemen, someone a bit different would be Zen and the Art of Football Index. I'm sure you guys know him. Nice to have that perspective where it won't necessarily be, you know, here's a few players who I think are doing well on PB, but it'll be how are you trading? Why are you trading? Why are you trading at certain times? Definitely recommend those guys. That's my four horsemen. Yeah, it's an, an interesting one. Certainly don't have any input from the, the wrestling side of things, but I think continuing on there with four people who are sort of a must follow, I think you covered two that I probably would have been thinking terms of FI Ben and FBI Trader. I think some of the, the recent work that they've put out on the timeline is, has been fantastic. So really, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen that, go and check it out. Give the, those two guys a, a follow. I think also Carl Brown puts out a lot of really good content there as well. And I'm trying to think from a, maybe a, a slightly different angle, somebody that I get a, a lot of value from, not necessarily a FI Twitter account user, but there's an awful lot of podcasts out there that are giving that a lot of great information on football and its current state going through the COVID-19 challenges that every club and this world in, in general is facing. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of really good podcasts that are touching on that, touching on different aspects of football, particularly football finances and other elements. Um, so go and check those out. So I think the hot ones would be the, the Transfer Window podcast, Duncan Castles. And then also we've got Calcio Land um, with David Amoyal. And obviously these are number two and three podcasts in comparison to, to Fig. We've got the, the number one podcast that I'm clearly on today. So yeah, <laughs> go and check those out. Nice. I mean, the next question, and again, you know, those accounts are all great. I think I posted or retweeted my list of accounts that I shouted out a while back. And by all means, that isn't the ultimatum. There's so many more that I'd forgotten on that list. But we've got a question here from Kilpjam FI, who was really, really good on last week's episode. So you guys are definitely following in his great footsteps. Do you have a specific target price for your biggest holds or is it constantly changing? Also on Bappe, with no French football for a while and unlikely to be involved in transfer stories, what's your strategy in this period? And he says in brackets, I hold, by the way, thanks. So, Scotland, why don't you take this one away? Because it, it kind of references, I think, someone you're very hot on. Yeah, it certainly, it certainly does. So Mbappe is one of my favourite holds, um, one of my bigger holds at the moment. Probably touch on him a little bit more later on, but for a lot of my holds at the moment, I don't typically have a specific price target. I have a, an idea in, in my head where I think they can get to, say, I put money into somebody. I need to understand what I think that the value of that player is and where they can, they can potentially get to. So I have that that view. But at the moment, a lot of the, the guys I'm building up are with a view of the Euros and the World Cup in, in 2022 in Qatar. I'm coming up. So I think this platform is growing and it's going to continue growing over that period. So I'm not too worried about specific price targets for a lot of my holds. And now obviously that, that does differ when you're looking at shorter term in-play trades, transfer trades, 
that kind of thing. So I will have a specific target in mind for those shorter term trades. But at the moment, I'm pretty much backing the platform growth and and not worried too much about that end target price at this moment. And obviously that things change, as we've talked about, on a regular basis. So in three months' time, that picture might be completely different. That might be sooner. That might be a bit further down the line. So it's always just a case of adapting your approach, keeping an eye on the market, adapting as you need to. I wish I could articulate my reasoning as well as you just did there, Scotland. <laughs> I completely agree with that, obviously. Mbappe is, um, I hold him. I think an awful lot of people do. I think that's fair to say. The reason why I do is because, yeah, I particularly like the tournament perspective that you've given there. And we know that the Euros have been cancelled, so it's a long-term thing. It's an extra year on that, though. But there's a lot of discussion around him because he's an absolute superstar. But his suitability to the current matrix has been questioned based on the fact that the amount of dividends he's winning isn't as much as you might expect as it would be for someone of his price. You want to see that him being up in that upper bracket there. And we know the reasons for that. And we know that, as you say, Scotland, we're in this period of growth and change right now, which means I don't think we know the potential that he's quite got yet. It's hard to be able to quantify that because we know there's going to be some changes and some fluctuations in the bets that we're making with Football Index. But I think an awful lot of people are thinking that when those come in and the growth that's going to come in, and the things that's going to happen with media, things that's going to happen with you know, his own personal situation, mean that it's going to be to his advantage. And I think a lot of people are thinking in that kind of long-term way, rather than him being someone who's particularly volatile, and they want to be in and out of him quite quickly. I think you've both made really good points there. I think there's a lot to think about, especially on your point of this period of change. We don't exactly know what's going to happen with this media review, do we? And we don't know what approach FI are going to take. All we really have for, from them is the kind of review survey that they sent out, I mean, at the back end of last year now, or maybe it was the turn of this year. But either way, that's kind of what we're basing our assumptions on where his media or a lot of players' media could go. And I think FI Headhunter has a good question here. Do you hold Bappe for the current PB and B matrices or for future iterations of both? Yeah, I think that's something obviously we just quickly touched on there, the, the matrix changes or future iterations of what that may look like. There's also the point that, you know, Bappe could get better in this PB matrix. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I, I do buy him. So I think you see, on you, you mentioned that there, and we see on Twitter a lot that we're talking about him not winning historical dividends, but he can hit peak scores. And I think historic dividend wins are not typically as useful an indicator of future dividend wins um, compared to that peak score ability and the actual frequency or the consistency of that. So I'm just looking back a few of Mbappe's scores. So he's hit over 305 before. He's got six or seven scores above 195. And this is in the current matrix. And we know that these scores can win PB on a given day. Football is very fluid. Things change very regular basis since we've all been on. I think we've seen wholesale changes in the way that certain players are perceived or are viewed on the platform. And for me, he's currently one of these players who's got that element of negative perception built into his PB ability. And I think he's potentially one of the, the candidates that might benefit the most from his own development, changes in football, style of football, transfers, and, and also changes in this, this product and this platform. So the, the matrix there. And I think Last week, possibly, ASP and Luel Luel's epic report, I think, The Matrix Reloaded, that covered quite a lot of that, didn't it? I think 
I've went back into it a second time, but I do need to spend a bit more time just rereading that. There's, there's so much information in there, but I think going forward, hopefully the Matrix should and will eventually feel more like what we see in football and be naturally more intuitive. And I think that's hugely important for onboarding new users, new regions, other countries, and really scaling the user base and market cap. And is probably one of the biggest beneficiaries if that type of change were to happen. And that's my personal opinion. Maybe wrong. Mm. Why do you think he's the most debated player on, or one of the most debated players of, on FI? This is from FI Ben that I think you kindly shouted out, uh, Nature Boy. He says, every day I see countless accounts swearing that the best young player on the planet is ridiculously overpriced. So I want to ask a question drilling down because I think we've answered a lot of what Ben is asking there. How do you value someone like this, Nature Boy? There's a couple of ways you can do it. There's the sensible way, which is you base the valuation upon data that either you've gathered yourself or that you've taken from sources which you trust. So you go, so how do you value someone like Mbappé? Well, you look at Scotland, you point out the fact that he's hitting high PP scores. He might not be winning dividends for them, but he's hitting these high scores and he's doing it more than someone else would be. So at some point, that's going to be converted into winning dividends, you know, that kind of thing. And then there's the way that I tend towards. <laughs> I like to think of myself as being someone who looks at the data and makes rational decisions based on that. Then there's the kind of the whole sentiment side of things, which is that we're still in the growth phase right now. Some people consider his price to be perhaps quite high. And it makes them, you know, it, it can make me feel a bit sometimes a bit queasy almost. You can kind of feel it in there. And that's that kind of like gut feel about things where you can look at someone and say, he's very high compared to this person here. It's making me a bit uncomfortable how high it's getting. Do I want to get in or do I want to get out when I'm at that price, you know? But and here's an ugly word around it. It's the kind of the hype around it. Are people talking about him all the time? Do people who aren't on the index, are your mates? And I talk about football with far more people who aren't on football index than are. Hopefully that's this kind of thing which will change in the next year or two, you know, as more and more people get involved with it. Do they know who he is? Do they respect him? Do they think he's an absolute superstar? Can that translate into people buying his shares on the index as well? And I think there's definitely an element of that. And it's quite an important side of things. And if you are chasing purely like, yields and data and that kind of stuff, you're probably going to make some sensible decisions. But also there is the side of things, which is who are people watching? Who's winning trophies? Who's in the newspapers? I'm not picking up much MB, but that's something else might come into. But who's there? And you would expect to be at the top as one of the highest priced players. And there's that side to him as well. I think he covers at least one of them and he's moving into the second one with the changes that we're seeing. That's really interesting. I think you touched there a little bit on sort of the market sentiment. And I think it's quite easy when you're, you're on... Twitter and you see all these accounts, all these opinions, thinking this is what all exists within Football Index. There's only a handful of accounts, so a couple of thousand that are on there. We're seeing a very small amount of the user base on Twitter there. We've got another 50,000 users who are not posting about Mbappe, but from his price and from the way he's sort of held up, it would suggest that those kind of people are buying him and doing a little bit more on the sentiment piece. On Twitter itself, there was a question a couple of weeks or a month or so ago about who will be the top five players in their prices at Euro 21. And Mbappe was almost in everyone's response in that top five. And his average price prediction, there was a substantial amount of responses, was £15. So I think there's certainly positive sentiment towards him. I think there's a few very loud voices. And I think that is fair as well, just to question the value of Mbappe. Absolutely, this is what we should be doing on this platform. If we didn't, then I think you get into a dangerous territory. And in the market, the market values PP value, and rightly so. 
Mbappé, due to not having those historical high returns, is, I suppose, perceived to be not PP-friendly. Mm. How big an impact, I suppose, how important is that? And we've touched on that. That's only one element that makes up his price, that element of rational thought. How much is he actually returning in that PP value? You've also got that sentiment. You've also got those future changes and that probability, the chance of luck going forward as well plays a part. Mm. I think you've both made fantastic points there. Really, really good articulation of like, especially Scotland, when we talk about how important it is to think about and question why a player is worth X and why a player is worth Y. It's definitely very stimulating to yourself, but also it helps forge your own trading strategy, which is obviously super important. We've got a question here from FI and Tonic. I think this goes over to you, Nature Boy. What skills have you learned in both your former military career and now your banking career that have helped you on FI? And he says, my name is FI and Tomic, and I approve this question. X. <laughs> uh, I was semi-expecting this kind of question when I sort of put that in my little bio. I was opening myself up to that kind of thing, you know. There's an answer, the kind of answer which I'd give on LinkedIn, which I don't want to give here because I actually want to say something useful, which is that, oh, I worked in a fast-paced, dynamic environment where I was having to make quick decisions all the time. Kind of like, no, 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 no. I didn't. That's, I, <laughs> there wasn't that degree of things in my military career. And I certainly don't translate to what I do as a, when I'm making trades and FI. There is one thing I did learn, though, which I think might be of some use to some of the listeners. And if you'll indulge me, this you know, might take a minute to sort of relay the story. But when I started, so when I started out in the RAF, you start out and you go through. So I thought, right, I want to be a pilot in the RAF. So you apply, you go through a whole series of tests. You go up to RAF Cranwell's, like the sort of the base, the home base of training up in Lincolnshire. You go up there, you do like three or four days of testing and there's all these kind of different things. And then a lot of people get selected out. You don't get to do it. And some people get chosen. You go, yes, you can go for further training. You can join the RAF and go to flying training. And so you get through that. And then you go and you go to RAF Cranwell and you do 32 weeks of initial officer training, it's called. And what that is, you know, so that's leadership, academic stuff, marching around, shooting guns, that kind of stuff, you know, not to the same degree, probably ratty FI, but you know, that's another thing. And you go through all of that. When you go to that, you're in there with all the other branches, all the people who do all the other different jobs as officers in the Royal Air Force. So you've got your pilots, and then you've got people who are in intelligence, people who are in administration, people in the RF regiment, that kind of thing. So you're all in it together. And from there, everyone who is a pilot knows that's what they're going to go do afterwards. And the Royal Air Force is run, still is, paint with broad brushstrokes here, but it's run by the pilots and for the pilots, and there's a lot of nuance to that. So the people at the very top of the Royal Air Force are all pilots, they tend to be fast jet, and that's the way to rise quickly through the ranks. And so they're kind of almost separated out. And so what does this make you, if you're not careful, it did for me, it makes you arrogant. <laughs> and I think that's what I was. I did quite well in initial officer training, and so I remember, and I can see it now, there's a building right there. It's home of the Royal Air Force. And it's called College Hall Officers Mess. It's a fantastic building. Big dome that looks like a miniature sort of St. Paul's Cathedral. You know, it's amazing to look at. Big parade square out front. You know, impressive. And I remember looking up at that building, doing an officer training. I thought, yeah, I'm going to be running this whole thing. Give it a couple of decades. Look at me. I'm doing really well. I'm going to be running the whole show here. And what that means, yeah. So it'll be a knighthood. You know, the queen putting the sword on my shoulders. Arise, sir. Football index nature boy. You know, I'll be, you know, at least shagging a princess, you know, maybe even marrying one, you know, Beatrice preferably, but, you know, Eugenie, if I get to become a duke out of it or something like that, you know, like going to the top. And that did not happen at all. Not even close. Was it down to your performance in there? <laughs> it was down to the flying. 
so I'm going to try and truncate this a bit. It's down to the flight. I found that really difficult. I found it very challenging. There's some guys and girls who are natural aviators. There's a term from them called like good stick and rudder men. Well, they've got good hands and feet. They can just put an aircraft in the air, straight and level, keep it going, and do all the other stuff around it. You know, deal with emergencies, that kind of thing. I could not do that. We had to work incredibly hard to be able to just do the job, you know, and keep mm. my head above water. And so this is coming back to, there's a reason for all this. So coming back to what I learned from my career in the military to how I trade on football index is be humble. Be humble is what I learned. So I came into it being arrogant, thinking I could do everything. And that was not true at all. And I discovered that about myself. That actually, I've got a lot of weaknesses. I've got a lot of blind spots for that kind of thing. That's what I use doing my trade on football index. You know, I'm sure there'll be people out there who are making fantastic trades. They're catching players at the right time. They're selling them at the right time. You know, they're beating the market with what they're doing. Great. You might be doing it consistently. You might not. You might be getting lucky. You might just be in a growing phase, which is what we're in now. So most people are making a bit of money now and doing well. So I would always, in part, say, just be careful because that's when mistakes can come in. That's when you can start losing money or not making as much money on this because you're making the wrong decisions or you don't know you're making the wrong decisions or you're not paying attention to people who might know more than you on Twitter. I've recommended a couple of accounts or they might not know more, but they know they have another perspective and you need to be listening to them. So that's what I say is, you know, be humble and recognize that you can't know everything. And sometimes, sometimes you're lucky. Sometimes you're unlucky. It might not be your fault. Sometimes you're making the right decisions. Back those if you can, but it's always better to be questioning yourself, seeking multiple sources of things. That's how you trade better. I like that. Wise words there. Wise words there indeed. I had a similar thing actually at uni. I studied something which I like you, and I, obviously it was far easier than you know flying a plane in the RAF. But I had to work really, really hard to just kind of keep my head above water to just get like just above an average grade. So definitely feel you there, and it definitely taught me was kind of how to learn, if that makes sense. I was learning things at uni that I really disliked or I thought really were really hard. So it meant when I started learning about things which I enjoyed, such as trading and kind of trading mindsets or, you know, making media, it was a lot easier to learn those things because I'd already learned about far harder things during my degree. But I just want to pick your brains on now your banking career. How's that helped? Well, (laughs) I think... So the lesson I was supposed to learn from my military career was don't be arrogant and be humble. And the lesson I like to say from my banking career, and funnily enough, I was just thinking about this earlier. I don't want to give too much away about what I do because I don't want my employer to know that I've got a lot of money sunk into some sort of <laughs> football gambling website. But what I do is I'm currently helping the investment bank that I work at, reshaping, restructuring our equities, derivatives, indices, indexes, indices, terms used interchangeably, platform that we give out to clients. So you think, right, it's an index. In fact, it's multiple indices. Music. You think, surely what I do for eight, nine hours a day is going to translate to what I'm doing on football index. No, 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 no. <laughs> Doesn't at all. Because I'm not one, I'm not someone who's making those kind of decisions for the bank I'm at. What I learned from that, and hopefully again, this is quite useful, is that when I left the REF and I went into banking, right, I thought, okay, former military pilot, I'm going to go, well, I'm still in the REF. I'm going to banking. Why do I want to go to banking? Because loads of money. It's sexy, all that kind of stuff. You know, that's why I want to get into banking. You know, didn't say that obviously, but you know, you say some other things. So, how do you get into it when you're in the military? Is it's through networking, and so it's people who are ex-military themselves who are now in banking, and they can they'll give you some of their time to help you out, and you know, like might introduce you to someone else, give you a bit of a leg up. And I remember I had a chat a few a good few years ago now with a guy who's ex-army officer, and he was at one of the big American investment banks doing really well, and he was taking time out of his busy day to have a coffee with me. 
And um, he said, so why do you want to get into banking? And I gave him the spiel, you know, all dynamic, fast-paced environment, all that kind of nonsense. And he said, oh, that's great. That's great. Okay. So nature boy, just start back a second. What's the difference between um, equity and, you know, a bond? And I said, ooh, <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> and he said, mm, okay, right. And, you know, for those who might not be financially illiterate, that kind of thing, this is like, you know, sentence one of page one of how an investment bank works, you know. He said, right, bit of friendly advice for you. And this is the mantra that I'll say for traders out there, hopefully this will be of some use, do some research. <laughs> and I know that's something which, you know, is a cliche, I suppose, but do your research. So from that, have a reason why you're entering a trade. The thing that I'm amazed about every time that I put money in or put trades is the amount of money. And I've not got, I've got sort of a mid, I consider it sort of a mid-sized account. The amount of money I'm putting into a player for some reason, you know, you buy like say a few hundred shares in or whatever. And then, you know, whatever the price is, like take Sancho, for example, the amount of money you could put in there, that's the biggest financial thing that I've done apart from my house. You know, I've got more in Sancho than my car easily. I'm looking at my car right now. It's, you know, <laughs> I've got way more in Sancho than my car. So have some reason that you're doing it. You know, have multiple reasons why you're entering that trade. Do some research. That research can be your own kind of thing you're doing. It can be from a variety of sources. It can be using other people's research to back it up. But that's the big thing I learned. I didn't do my research when I entered banking. I learned that lesson, had to go back and do some to make myself credible. I think that's something which could be useful for traders. I think that's really awesome advice there, man. Really, really good stuff. I would love to have some sort of spin-off episodes just detailing the chronicles of your life. Seems very interesting. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Scotland, I won't try to get into your complete uh, <laughs> background, your life. Lewis Turner has a question here for you. Can you name your top five shaggers on FI Twitter, please? And then a question for both. Do you think we'll see domestic cups and all the Champions League, Europa League return this season? So why don't you go ahead with the first one, Scotland, and then we'll take our team to the second question. This is the question I've been looking forward to the most. Lewis, thank you for this one. Just a quick shout out. Lewis is put out a tweet recently, he's doing some really good work for a charity called Kit Aid, where he's taking receipt of lots of football boots and strips that are going to then be shipped out to underprivileged children in Africa who don't actually have these items. So yeah, really good work, Lewis. Check that out, help if you can, and just share the love, get that retweeted. Where do I start on this? I think, yeah, there's really only one person that deserves this title. I think we all know that's Ryan Shagger Pierce. I think Lewis... I'm trying to help him seal some deals through my direct messages. I can hear, hear, hear Fick giggling away there in the background. Yeah, so um, Lewis. I myself. <laughs> you did. Yeah, so Ryan is. The, there's only one, isn't there? I struggle to pick five, but yeah. So as I said, we've got Ryan. Lewis, I'm, I'm trying to coach him, help him out here in some of the direct messages. Hopefully, we've got a challenger to Ryan soon. There'll be some more updates on that. Hopefully, we can share in due course. I think some notable inventions have got to go with Stu Shagger McDonald. I think he's a bit of a, a dark horse and can't leave out Matthew Grellish show pony. Cannot wait for isolation to end and to restart bounding fences and smashing hedges. So I think, yeah, those are my top shaggers off FI Twitter. Nature Boy, I don't know if you want to attempt to answer this one. <laughs> I can't top that. I think we have our top five shaggers right there. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, the other question there is domestic cups, Champions League, Europa League, do you realistically think we'll see them come back? Or I think domestic leagues are seen to be the priority because that's where most of the money is. But Champions League has got a fair bit of dollar behind it as well. 
Could we see either of those competitions or any domestic cups get scrapped, do you reckon, Nature Boy? It'd be a shame. Carlson Table, I'm a Spurs fan. And so I traditionally love the FA Cup because it's anything we've ever won very much of. And I think it's traditional and I think it's something which should have more prominence than it does. And it's a shame. So if it's something which, again, gets discarded, like 20 years ago when Manu went and got beat by that mix as I was in the cash in the World Championships and then the whole cup's devalued, I think that would be a terrible shame. The League Cup, <laughs> I'm more sanguine about. I mean, if it facilitates football coming back and then the rhythm of the season's coming in again, okay, that might be something we can sacrifice. There's a debate going all around now. How are we going to be able to make this season work? I think Gordon Taylor, the head of the PFA, is talking about doing less than 45 minutes and a half. He's some astonishing suggestions. Here's one, which I've not heard yet, so maybe it's out there, but here's one. Of all the competitions, I think the one that's least credible is the Community Shield at season opener. If there's something which can go, maybe it's that. So maybe if we don't find a way to be able to get the rest of the season in, leave the league as it is. But you've got to decide the title. You can't void the title when Liverpool is so close to winning it. So what do you do? You put Liverpool up against the best of the rest of the Premier League 11. You can have Guardiola coaching that side. One game, 90 minutes, extra time penalties at Wembley in place of Community Shield. Winner takes the title. If Liverpool win it, they're league champions. That's fair enough. They're beating the rest of the league. If the rest of the league win it, then you void it and we carry on with the next season. Have you been dabbling with Footstock? <laughs> I have not. I have not. That's a band name in my household. But I think that's something which could work. And I think that would be the biggest game in domestic English history. I'd love to see it. Well, that is slightly abstract. I didn't know if we were going to go down that road. Uh, <laughs> Scotland, have you got any more maybe realistic thoughts? Yeah, I don't see that happening. I don't, there's so much still to understand at the moment. I think there's a, a lot of challenges for football resuming in, in general. I think it will slowly. Um, we will see the main leagues starting to, to return. There's a lot of challenges to making that happen, but I think the money that's involved in the Prem, the La Liga and Serie A, huge figures, 860 million in broadcasting deals for the Premier. La Liga is about five or 600 million and Serie A is 350 to 450 million. That's money that they can't afford to lose. Large sections of these leagues would see clubs going into serious financial difficulty. I think Germany have talked about 13 clubs in the top two leagues going bust if they're not going to receive the broadcasting um, revenues from Sky. So I think those factors will, will make the, the leagues resume. I don't think that the same money exists within the cup competitions. So the national cup competitions, I think they could potentially go. I think there will be a push to try and get the European competitions resumed. They're not that far off. Realistically, there's not that many games left and, and the revenues that they bring in are significant. Broadcasting is by far the main driver in getting these games resumed. I think if that didn't exist and it was only the commercial or the match day revenue, I think a lot of other clubs would be taking that decision or a lot of leagues in general would say, let's call this, let's give Liverpool the title, let's promote Leeds and all this stuff that's being banded about at the moment. But there's over a billion pounds being expected cost to the Premier League clubs from broadcasting commercial and match day. This just simply can't be lost. The vast majority of these clubs are not run very well anyway. It's a lot of money, isn't it? France, for example, stood to lose, I think, between 102 million to 200 million euros. And even then, the government have kind of given a lot of these clubs loans. They haven't bailed them out per se, but I think they're made available just under 250 million euros for football clubs around France who needed it. I think it's some sort of loan scheme, but it just goes to show, doesn't it, that for France, they had a situation where they had the least money on the line 
and they've been helped by the government. Whether or not the UK government will be as generous to football clubs, probably not due to the amount of money that they make. I mean, there's been loads of crazy stories about championship clubs spending crazy amount of money on wages weekly for some players and all the way down to the rungs of League Two, where their players are being paid far, far above market value. And, you know, if you're a government and you're looking at that, it's like, well, are we going to essentially bail out some of these clubs that basically haven't been very well run? It's kind of essentially, I suppose, comparison to the airlines and what's going on with them at the moment. I think we could speak about this all day, couldn't we, Scotland and Nature Boy? But I do want to move us on because we're not even a third in and we're already 42 minutes in recording. So I will move us on to the Index Gain ad break here. If you guys haven't already signed up to Index Gain, I'm not too sure what you're doing. If you go over to indexgain.co.uk, you can use the code FIG2020 for five quid off your first month. And then if you go for their six month plan, you basically get a month free and five quid off, which is pretty decent. And as football is coming back now, officially confirmed by the German government, probably in the second half, of May, then there's no better place to look for previous PB scores and every single stat they have, like OptiPowered reports, which are pretty awesome. And you should definitely go check them out. You can basically check out essentially every single stat a player has and how it attributes to performance buzz. So, very, very useful if you're doing, as Nature Boy reference to some very well needed research. We've got a question here from FI Gardner. Apologies for another question, guys. The price difference between Sancho and the next player on the index is four quid. If that is stretching further, would this be of a concern to Football Index? I don't personally think so. So I was thinking about this when it came in. I think players will naturally get priced by the market. And if Sancho rises, yeah, some people will identify other players as having more value, but I'm not sure I always agree with that logic that one player rises and that creates more value in somebody else. It's about looking at the individual merits of that particular player. Obviously, there is that element of the market that you're going to see fast followers if one person rises. So it might be smart to jump on those types of players in anticipation of that. But I suppose only if you're valuing that individual anyway. For me, I think the current gap Sancho has is probably fair given the climate and simply how good he is, what he has in his favour. There's not many sort of would call as like a triple threat on football index. So they've got PB media. And a transfer. I think Sancho ticks all those boxes in a way that's just different to anyone else on the platform. For me, there's so much logic in his price, regardless of how big a gap there is to, to maybe second at the moment with everything that's going on in the world and the current climate. I think there's still a lot of unknowns and quite a way to go before football's back to normal and where all the other PB players actually are generating their value. Somebody who can stand up with the media and potentially have a transfer over this period, I think is rightly top of the market at the moment. It's a really good response to this, Scotland. And I can't add anything sensible to that. But what I'd say is maybe a couple of questions which you guys might consider for me. And again, this might be being a bit fanciful here. But do I think that Sancho's price stretched market hurts their fight? I don't know. I don't think so. But is there something in having a battle for the king of the index I don't know the answer to this, but what I see is Football Index themselves promoted quite heavily when you've got a new king being crowned. And if you've got someone like Sancho, who is, unless something changes quite drastically quite soon, he's going to be there for quite a while. Is there something that affects trading? And I know it doesn't sound like it might be rational or sensible, but is there something there which affects what people's trading behavior is when you've got someone like that who's marked out as bar ahead? 
and the difference between when you had, and I think it, I think pretty much when I joined, maybe slightly after, when we had this share split early part of last year, when you had, I think it was pretty much a three-way battle as it was. I know it's not a real battle between Neymar, Pogba and Messi. They're all around about the kind of £15 mark and then the share split got announced and then Neymar and Pogba flew up and there was something in that. I know it's, there's lots of facts at play here, but there's something in there about having a group of players all around about the top. I don't know, but I mean, I'd like to be enlightened on it. Yeah, I certainly think it's healthy for the market. I suppose my response in saying I, I don't think Sancho being so far ahead is negative for the market, but I would rather see three players up there sort of jostling for that position. And hopefully once we get football back and we start to, to see that, you will see Neymar posting his PB scores. You'll start to see other players, Bruno, actually getting into to that Man United side after a couple of months being there. So actually him starting to develop further. We've seen lots of positive signs there from him as an individual how, how far does he go so probably the football stopping has stifled a few players there that have got a lot of PB built into them and that's why Sancho's taking that rise at the moment I think that gap eventually will be reduced Sancho will not stay that far out I don't think he, he drops to, to that point but I think over time and I think it's going to take quite a bit of time for that to happen but as we get I keep talking about Euro 21, but as we get to that point, I think you'll see much, much closer players at the top there. And that's, as you say, it's possibly quite good for the market. Creates an excitement, a buzz. I can only compare it to Zlatan's dominance from a price perspective back in the day. I seem to remember that being relatively good for the index. I don't think that FI will be concerned by a stretch. In fact, I actually think they'd like Sancho to probably fly away and then players to catch up with him or whoever is king to fly away. It's one of those things that just helps stretch the market and shows the potential. I, I really don't think that's a bad thing for them. Got a question here from Kay Brown, Carl Brown, that you shouted out, didn't you, Scotland? What would be your three biggest factors when aiming to evaluate a player's career dividend returns and calculating their intrinsic value? Yeah, I think it's a, a good question. Something we've possibly touched on a little bit earlier on how we value players and as I've said I don't personally always feel the need to calculate a a player's career dividend potential to that nth degree I'm not sure that I have the capability to or anyone does at the moment as we've said is a growing platform so that plays into my thinking age and then a view of that rational thought what kind of dividend return do I think that person can get over the time period I'm looking at whether that be three months six months three years or then the longer period if I'm trying to actually calculate that career dividend value there. It depends on the, the type of trade I'm making. Certainly the, the bigger, the top end, my purchases on Mbappe and, and Sancho, there will be a, a view of that sort of career dividend return. But I'm also not sure that the market does this as a whole. So it's not always relevant. But it is how I try to understand value in terms of career dividends or what I would class as in-play returns for the, the shorter term the in-play dividend trades. Age is a huge factor. The unknowns in the platform and the way that football and things evolve over such a short period of time in football make it very difficult to do this accurately. So it's not something I spend my time modelling to any great extent. There's a huge amount of sense spoken there. Very well articulated, Scotland there. Thanks for that. The one thing I'd like to add to that is where I've made a mistake. (laughs) Rather than the great advice that's been given, particularly around ages where I've made mistakes, when I first started out, and there'll be a variety of people listening to this podcast, I'm sure, people who are starting out, people who are very experienced and they know this stuff far better than I do. But when I first started out, 
I was looking at players who I thought was kind of obscure and, oh, aren't I getting an edge here by, you know, I've barely heard of Chucky Lozano, so I'm going to have some of him. It turns out everyone's heard of him. I just didn't know what, you know, I didn't know much about football, it turns out, compared to a lot of people on the index. But one of the things I started getting into a little bit more and a bit of data, I looked purely at yields, yield percentage, price against dividends, like based on the season as it was, because I joined up in, when I started looking at data, it was kind of halfway through the 2018, 2019 season. And so I was looking at that and I was looking and I was amazed. I was looking at a few players and I feel like I can say the names now, right? Because I don't own them anymore and it was a little while ago pumping them. I remember seeing Duvan Zapata, who was banging the goals in for, is it Atalanta? And his price was low, but his yield was incredibly high. And I thought, surely his price will increase. So the yield decreases, you know, in line with that as you find your value. And so I was like, right, got that one. Did okay out of that. Okay, fine. And there was two others. The one was okay and one made a mistake. One was Fabio Cagliarella, who's, uh, oh God, where is he? Sampdoria now, something like that. And he was banging the goals and he scored like something like 11 games in a row. I think he broke Luca Tony's record or something. And he was like, but he's 35, 36. He's dirt cheap. And I thought, but surely his yield is so high that if I just go in for that, other people will realize it. They've not seen it yet. And I've got my little edge there because I'm looking at data, not realizing that everyone else is looking at data. But it turned out it wasn't. I got right and I got lucky. This is what I said before about like, don't be arrogant, be humble. I thought, this is it. Yields. This is the key. <laughs> this is how you make money with football index. No one else can see this. I'm the only one looking at yields and purely everything else. Forget PB average and max five PB, all that kind of stuff. Yields, surely that's an efficient market will eventually become efficient and, you know, reduce their yields as prices go up. And then I bought Cristiano Ronaldo. And I bought Ronaldo because I thought his yield was mega high. And what I didn't factor in, and this is, and then I'll come back to, this is why you got made a really good point that Scotland about age. I went, my God, his yield is so high. Like, how is his price not higher? And there's a reason why his price is not higher. It's because he's very old. Now he might have a longer career. We, you know, he's talking about going to the age of 40 kind of thing. But that brings his price down. And that means that kind of bet that you're taking, which is, you know, with the original bet you're taking with FI, which is like how many dividends they're going to earn over the course of the rest of their career against what you're paying for them. And hopefully you can cash out the bet to another trader, whatever. But I didn't take that into consideration. And I lost a bit of money on Ronaldo. I know he's come back up since because there's all sorts of stuff going on. He's quite volatile. But that's how I used to calculate intrinsic value, which was that it's dividends against price. But there's loads of other things you can factor in. And Scotland have articulated them better than I can. Age is one of the big ones because you've got that kind of decline which should go to, well, IPO kind of price towards the end of it. So hopefully an education there for people who were as naive as I was when I started out. I don't necessarily think it is naive. You're following the logic. I think a lot of us have, have tried to do this at one stage or another on Football Index, varying levels of degree. And sometimes what is logical doesn't necessarily follow. So you can look at dividend yields for on my last appearance, I was talking quite a bit about goalkeepers and how I had utilised in-play trading on goalkeepers to quite good effect. That was quite short-lived and isn't possible at the moment. There's just not no trading involved there, which is quite sad. But yeah, I think I was also looking at the yield, logical, and what was this player going to return? And goalkeepers come out very, very well in that. But if the market sentiment isn't there, it becomes a more difficult trade, particularly on that, that short term, and particularly now with the increased spreads that Football Index have in play. Hopefully they're short-lived, but I don't think we'll be getting back to anywhere near. We're going to talk about that in a bit, aren't we, though? Because we've got a couple of questions on that from FI Max in the very near future, so I just want to move you on before you go into a spread rant. Max says, FI is right now a very English, not UK-centric product. As a Scotsman, 
presumably without English biases. Do you think that you approach FI differently to your English counterparts? Does this give you any advantages as FI embark on their international expansion? You really liked this question, didn't you? I did. I never even really thought about it more until this came in. But yeah, in terms of advantages for international expansion, no, I am thinking about it. I don't think I would have there. I think there's a, a lot of traders that are very on the pulse of players all across the world, um, not just in the, the top five leagues, people who, who know a lot more about these players than me. And the vast majority of these guys are in England, so they don't have that bias. I don't think that's a thought there. I suppose if player valuation was purely based on data and pure logic, then maybe these biases would lead me to picking more based on these factors and of that English bias coming in for some people. But in the current market, it's maybe the opposite. I'm probably quite slow or hesitant when it comes to, to non-PB, the English Championship. I can see the market supports a certain type there, but my personal perception of value normally prevents me from getting on or staying on these types as effectively as some others. Maybe that comes down to my personal risk perception, and that may be right or wrong, but my tolerances for, for risk probably lead me to be less inclined for, for those players. That's been the wrong decision over the period I've been on. So the English bias has probably been financially rewarding since I've been on. Maybe looking at it from a slightly different angle, so not being that focused on and I see high-priced young English players. I tend to stay away from a lot of them. There will be ones that I jump on. makes me just look, maybe look at different angles. Everyone will have their own little niche within in Football Index. I've talked about it before. I've quite heavy on goalkeepers or in play trading. That's not there at the moment. So you always have to find what works for you. What do you have a knowledge about? What can you trade effectively um, with your own, own skill set and try to focus on that? So for me, that's something that I try to do. Maybe looking at football finances, trying to understand a bit more around, for example, the capital gain on amortised value within players. I won't go into that in, in too much detail, but that's something I am plus, plus Valenza is something I'm very interested in. I think going forward, it's something that we're going to see a lot more of. So I'll just go into it briefly, but amortisation is used to describe the routine decrease in the value of an intangible asset. So clubs will typically amortise a player's value over the course of their contract. This can be really useful for their financial reporting over a period of time. We see evidence of player transfers due to this. So I think you've got quite prominent Teams in Italy like Juventus use it to good effect. You've got three signings like Ramsey or Rabiot. You've got teams like Napoli who seem to amortise a larger portion over the first two years. And therefore, means they can look to sell on players after this period for a healthy profit, on the books at least. So someone like Dries Mertens, who was signed for £8.5 million back in 2013, he represents a pretty decent plus Valenza. Likewise, someone like Suso at AC Milan could be a really good sale for the club. I think he came in for under £2 million, been there for quite a while since he joined from Feyenoord. £15-20 million, really good for, for their books. And also then you've got the guys who come through the youth ranks, Donnarumma, these kind of guys. So that's the stuff I typically look out for. Where can I get an additional edge, another angle? Sort of went off tangent there. but You've got into so much detail on so many different things. I don't dare ask a follow-up question, otherwise we might be here all day in a good way. I think some of the stuff you said there is super, super smart. I think if any of you don't follow the Swiss Ramble, I'm sure you do, Scotland. A guy who goes into the deep, deep nitty-gritties of financial reporting on football. He's an Arsenal fan, so he does a lot of Arsenal stuff, but he's done clubs from 
you know, the likes of Everton to Atletico Madrid. You should definitely check them out if you have in Scotland, but I'm sure you have. We've got another question here from Max, and I think this is going to be your opportunity to do some spread ranting if you want to. He says, do you think we'll see a reduction in the spreads or order books first and why? Nature Bowie, why don't you go here first? I don't know. That's my answer to that. But <laughs> here's a theory. And again, so remember that nonsense I just said about having a um, Premier League 11 against Liverpool side the title. So here's a theory. I've not seen this come up before and there's probably a reason why. Is that, is there a potential? Is there a chance that the reason why the spreads are so big as they are and it's the sales been turned off, I've been told this, is because it's like a trial run. It's like a test for order books coming in. Our football index saying, let's see what happens to the market if we essentially take where well, they are. They take away into the sale and we just leave market sale going up. And that is like a basic form of order books. Tell me I'm talking crazy if I am, or if they're trying to do something a bit more intelligent than that. So to answer the question, which one do we see return first? I think they'll probably be quite closely linked and we might see it happening with a little bit of lag in there, but I reckon they'll be quite close together. Happy to be told that's a load of bollocks. So. No, I think you're right. A lot of it comes down to what happens in football over the coming weeks and how far away order books really are. And if FI decide to hold that back, I think that recent pod that FI done with the CTO, Akash, suggested that they were really close. A lot's changed since then, and I think the, the spreads have needed to be added. Overall, they've been quite well received, I think. For me personally, I think they're fine. It was the right thing to do. Needed at the time as a response to what was going on. I think we, we will see them coming out away eventually, but aligning that to order books coming in makes sense to me. I think it makes sense from an FI perspective. There will be some users who are a little bit annoyed at that, but I think it does make sense, particularly if order books are, are fairly close. I've got a question for you, Nature Boy. What do you think these order books are going to look like? I mean, you obviously have the financial background here, so you're going to be educating us. What do we think they'll look like? Do we think they'll look like a traditional exchange or will it be a bit more simplified? I love the confidence you've given me there, saying that because of my background, I'll be able to answer intelligently on this. Again, I don't know, but what I anticipate, and there's been some kind of stuff being circulated, is that what we'll see is a buy price and a sell price as we're used to seeing, but there'll be an ability to kind of drill down into them. So you can go, if you want to just trade as you've been trading before, you can just do that, basically. But you can drill that. You can go, okay, here's your basic buy price. What else can I look at? And you can go down into that, and you can see all the different buy prices that there are. So you can say, okay, so this order's being placed here. So there's someone who's saying, if I've got 300 shares in whatever, I can sell him for this, and I can sell him. There'll be the instant sell price for that right there. And the instant sell price will be still the market being made by FI. I think that'll come back on, and they'll still be offering that. But it'll be quite a big spread. There'll also be, I reckon, a load of traders who are just above that instant sell price. So they'll be taking a large chunk out of there for people who are desperate, but they'll be the market makers themselves, but just a little bit you know, more appealing. And then I think you'll see an awful lot around where there's going to be the kind of agreed value share price there. And I'm not sure that'll come about. I think there'll be some volatility around that. And I won't be sure exactly how it's going to function. And so what I'm going to do is not do any trading when that comes in, at least initially, until other people have worked it out for me and I can get their advice from them. I've recommended <laughs> at the start a few accounts <laughs> to look at. There's plenty of others as well. I guarantee you, though, so I said before about being humble right at the start and doing some research, is I'm not going to be wading in straight away to this because there's going to be some change. There's going to be some volatility around it. There's going to be some mistakes made. And I think the best thing for me, as someone who kind of is self-aware that I'm you know, not one of the top traders, 
is it's going to be leave it alone, see what happens, let it settle. That's when then I'll start doing a bit of trading around it. Very sensible approach. I've got a question here. Like I've been toying with the idea in my head about, and I think ASP mentioned this at some point on one of the pods, could we have a situation where it looks like what it is right now, but we're only putting in buys, not sells. So it's a buy side only order book to simplify things. Scotland, I don't know if you've got any ideas about what it could look like or, or just riffing on anything that Nature Boys just mentioned there. What it's going to look like, I suppose, is anyone's guess at the moment. We all understand how order book work in general, but how if I decide to implement that, whether it's kept in a, quite a simplistic, certainly the, the view on the front end for users, how simple that looks. And I think that's key to it being successful in the short term and probably longer term. But you touched on that nature around how once it comes in, there's going to be an awful lot of volatility. There's going to, there's going to be a bit of a mad rush, people jumping in and out. And the market will move a bit, but not more than what we've seen here on, on the impacts of COVID, I don't think. It's a really, really difficult one to try to theorize what this looks like without starting to see some of the mock-ups that FI have done, seeing what they've got in mind there whether or not you can place buy orders above what Football Index are selling that at. Why would that be the case? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to kind of even think about the mechanics of it, like what exactly is going to happen. We probably need more information from FI. And I think considering how long they're taking with it, NASDAQ's involvement, I think we're all pretty confident, aren't we, that they are going to produce something pretty good. Yeah, I have no reason to think otherwise. They seem very excited themselves. They've spent a lot of time working on this and it will be the future of the platform. So I think it's going to be positive what that looks like. We just don't know. Short term, there might be a little bit of pain as people get used to that. I think it's going to be massively positive for the market going forward. That ability to try and fill that gap in between the football index instant sale price. So at the moment, we're talking about 40%. That spread is, I think it'll be far reduced. We might be looking at something like 15 or 20%. But well, that'll offer the opportunity for people who need that money to be able to get out of trades a bit quicker. And for, for those who are more confident or have that, that money available to actually place some buy orders at a, a reduced price. So yeah, I think there's going to be lots of people who benefit from this implementation people who will really use it to their advantage. There'll be others. I think the vast majority of the platform won't feel a major difference. They'll just carry on trading as they are. That's my hope. That there will be those with very deep pockets who are able, as Nature said, set their a penny or two above that instant sale price and provide a slightly better instant sale to, to users who really want to get out. There'll be those who are doing it more actively on the in-play side of, of things. So there'll be, you know, players who have maybe delivered some in-play dividends that particular day, you might be able to snipe at some of those if you've got some desperate sellers or people who are wanting to get out at the peak on that particular day. So yeah, I think there's going to be lots of opportunities, but as you say, Nature, there's lots of people who are going to have a much better opinion on this and be able to quite quickly understand where that value is. So wait and see, let it settle for a couple of weeks. That's kind of my plan as well. I'm not going to be making any major changes. I'm comfortable that my portfolio will be fine going into that situation. So probably less in play and, and lower end players at the moment. And that's probably where I would look to pick up some bargains as order books were brought in, but also as well as building my top end holds, maybe trying to bring my average price down there. I'll tell you something. 
And you made, I think, a good point there, Scotland, about how thinking it's going to be implemented well. And I think you're right. The reason why I think you're right is because there's an awful lot of complaining which goes on about that. A lot of the complaining about the tech with Public Next has actually faded away. I mean, when I first joined, it was all that. But the implementation of this, I think, is going to be good. And there's going to be grumbles, I'm sure. But I'm able to compare it to the implementation of this kind of thing, index platform, which I do in my day job. Remember, I spoke before about how I do that, equities, derivatives, indices. And I'll tell you something which you might find incredible. So I don't want to give too much away because, again, I don't want to be revealing where I am. But the assets under management of the part of the business I'm working at is currently $48 billion. That's a team within the trading floor, the equities trading floor of the bank, the one bank that I'm at. It's $48 billion. End of the year, they want it to be $52 billion. So that's the kind of growth we're looking at, managed slightly because of COVID, but actually investment bank is doing quite well over the last few weeks. The index, the indices that are being offered to clients, and this is the kind of money we're talking about here, you can't currently, and this is pretty much trying to make, you can't see the individual stocks, shares, the companies, the equities that you're buying when you put this kind of huge sums into this bank. So you buy an index. We have a variety of indices being offered and you buy a few of them. You say, right, I want to take a piece of this one, a bespoke index you're giving to me. And you go, okay, fine, give us your billion and we'll put it into that and then we'll manage it for you and we'll track it, whatever, we'll give you some updates. But the complaints or the, you know, the feedback we're getting from our clients are that, well, how are the individual, so let's say, players, how's Neymar doing? How's Mbappé doing? Don't know, can't say. Well, I've given you a billion pounds here and you can't tell me the individual components of that index, how they're getting on. No, we can't. We're going to make those improvements in 2020. You'll see. Give us another billion, please. So when people can grumble about the tech of Football Index, I totally understand it. I look at what I'm doing eight, nine hours a day, and I think, Football Index has run really well. And we know it's a startup, but we know the tech team's a few guys and girls doing things. But actually, what they're doing is a pretty stellar job. I know they're not managing the same kind of funds, but it's because they're not managing the same kind of funds that the expectation could be lower than what we're kind of getting when it's billions, it's tens of billions being done investment banking. And I guarantee you, the bank that I work at, it's not the market leader, but it's right up there. And so everyone else is suffering the same kind of problems. So yes, it can always be better. But I think it's actually not too bad. And I think for that reason, I think when order books come in, I think it's going to be pretty good. There'll be some teething problems, but I guarantee it's going to be better than what I'm dealing with in my day job. Yeah, I think that's spot on. The tech has had its issue. You know, people have been moaning about this for, for quite a while, but I think you're in a bit of an echo chamber on social media, aren't you? There's a couple of thousand people who are all very passionate about your product. They get their view across so that that be improved. I think with it being a startup and there, there was a lot of interaction from the Football Index staff on the timeline, even just a, a year ago. They probably got more professional as they've grown. They've now got over 100 members of staff. But I think the fact that you were able to interact with them, suggest changes and, and improvements, and those were kind of taken on board and adopted and working with that community. It's almost as if the product's outgrown that now. And so a lot of the stuff we now see on the, on the timeline yeah, it's good to have that chat and that discussion around it, but it's no longer having the, the same impact on the company. So you probably just see a bit more noise than you, you probably would in your line of work in your nature. I think so. We're all on Twitter together and we're all grumbling. But then who amongst us can't say we didn't get a deal out GHA at 143 and we're absolutely loving it, you know? <laughs> there's tech problems and there's tech problems, you know? So That's it. We cannot grumble. That's certainly back that. I think there's lots of things that can be improved. I think they are going to be improved. There's nothing that's telling me that this is not coming or we aren't still in an early iteration of this product. So 
I can raise my concerns. I can voice what I thought I want through the, their feedback channels, and they're quite good at putting out the surveys nowadays and taking on board that feedback. I've got the customer account manager, so they are gathering a lot of feedback from users there. So it's positive, and I think it's it's only going to get better. Wise words. Got a question here from the Kaiser Nature Boy. I think this is aimed at you. Since 2016, Kane's goal to game ratio in the Premier League has been 0.96, 0.81, 0.60 and 0.55. His tackles, interceptions and distance covered are also consecutively down. Is he regressing? Do you believe United are serious about signing him or is Levy pushing the agenda to raise capital? Uh, here we go, Kaiser. Right. Declaration here. Kaiser's a great bloke. He's a very dear friend of mine. He's personally got me into the football index. But me and him, I've known him for 11 years now, and we have been arguing with each other about football for that entire time. And we've had arguments which started 11 years ago, which we've never resolved. And this isn't one that's 11 years old, but it's four or five. I've been arguing with him about this this afternoon as well, and we've been swapping statistics, that kind of thing. Right. So he's asked multiple questions there. So I can give a couple of answers. As a Spurs fan, again, Carson Table declaring that, no, Kane's regressing. Leave him alone. We'll keep him. You don't want someone who's a croc who's spending 10, 15 games out a season. You don't want to be spending that kind of money on that. Levy's going to drive the price up as much as he can. We know he's sometimes great at that when it comes to someone like Bale. He got a world record fee for him based on one like stellar season. Sometimes he prices them too highly, like, say, Delhi Alley, where he was looking for, or Ericsson, where he's looking for, what, 150 million for good players, but not 150 million pound players. So, you know, let that happen. I don't think he's suitable for United. I think they've got a talent in Greenwood who, if he continues on a trajectory, which is similar to Harry Kane, he's about the same age there, starting similar sort of games Kane was doing sort of 2013, kind of 14. It's a lot of hype around that kind of thing. I think he can be the Harry Kane that they need and he's there already. They don't need to spend 200 million on him. I'm going to throw that figure out there just to see if United are listening to it. And then, you know, if you're already, a lot of the rumours, a lot of people are pricing in the fact that Sancho could be going to United as well. If you've got Rashford, Greenwood, Sancho, a bit of Martial, maybe a little bit of Daniel James in there, they don't need Harry Kane. In terms of is he regressing? Well, possibly. He had two exceptional seasons, the ones you just pointed out, the absolutely exceptional seasons, where he was scoring close to a goal a game. The worst season you just mentioned there, where he scored 0.55 goals a game, is the one we're just going through right now. And it's widely acknowledged as, Absolutely bloody awful. Like it's been terrible for Kane. It's been the worst one he's had since he was like a teenager for us. All right, fine. 0.55 goals a game. It doesn't sound very good, particularly when Kane was putting up like nearly goal a game type of things. But what I will say is 0.55 goals a game. If you're playing 38 games a season, that translates to 21 goals a season. Kane doesn't play 38 anymore. His, his ankles are you know a bit dodgy. If you play in say I think it's 31 games a season, say that translates to about 17 goals a season. No one at Man U has scored more than 17 goals a season in the league since 2013, since Alex Ferguson. That was Robin Van Persie. So maybe <laughs> maybe it would be a good idea for them to buy Harry Kane because if he's going to be scoring at that at his worst rate, if that's his worst rate that he scores at, he's still scoring as much as anyone can score at United in the league. So maybe that would be an investment for them. We could go on about this all evening, the pros and cons of it. I'd say leave him. Let him have a crack at Jimmy Greaves' 220 league goals for Spurs record. He's not a million miles off that. I'd like to see that happen. All great points. I mean, I do think the injuries might be catching up with him. He's played so hard and fast for the last five seasons that it's not surprising to see all those statistics go down. And I suppose some of the things that 
my Spurs friends have kind of noted to me is that maybe he's playing with worse players, etc. But I mean, that is a definite downward trend and it's hard to argue with it nonetheless. Just before we move on to the next question, I need to plug The Athletic. They're a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage. I've just seen an amazing article by Rafa Honigstein, who's the kind of go-to guy for everything Bundesliga. It's called Bundesliga is back on the 15th of May, and it's basically everything you want to know about the Bundesliga restart, which is a cracking article. You should definitely have a look at it if you are on The Athletic. But if you're not, and you want 50% off your annual subscription, well, you can use theathletic.co.uk slash fig, and it's £2.49 a month if you go for their annual deal. I mean, that's pretty cheap, isn't it, Nature Boy? What have you been buying recently that costs more than £2.49? Rodri. No, he's cheaper. <laughs> he's £2.20. <laughs> that's been all I'm stuck at home. I'm working from home. I'm looking after my children because the nursery's like shut as well. So that's what I've been buying. It's not even the same amount of, as that is. So yeah, you're <laughs> right. It is a good deal. Scotland? Yeah, I'm kind of similar. Um, not really been buying much other than my food shop. What have I bought? I've got, yeah, the bottle of Kraken that I'm enjoying right now. <laughs> £24. So that's 10 months worth of The Athletic. It's nearly an annual deal. Pretty good deal. I do enjoy it. I subscribe to The Athletic. I think the pods on there, what I get a lot of value from. There's a lot of really good articles. I find it hard to always catch up on every single one of them, but I do try to, to spend a bit of time on lunch reading through them. And it's just content that you don't get anywhere else. And I think it's only expanding. We started off with all the US sports and they, they just took all the major journalists <laughs> from everywhere and, and decimated that and, and built this platform and I think they've kind of done something similar with football so it's really good they've done outstandingly well we've got a question here from FI Economist who was on the pod last week how do you like them apples you've got both previous episode guests asking questions this week it's pretty nice kind of circle of life there for the Figcast he says have fun guys following on from last week's Figcast extra would your ideal PB matrix account for off the ball actions such as Firmino's impact via pressing. And what about tactical fouling? I mean, that's a bloody hard question, isn't it, Scotland? It is, yeah. I'm going to take nature's advice here <laughs> and be humble. I think there are others that are much better placed to assess what we should and shouldn't be including in the, and the relative weightings needed. But I suppose for me, it's simply about reflecting what's valuable in football. Any matrix is going to have its flaws. And I suppose they'll, they'll be more suited to a certain player at a particular time or a certain group of, of players, regardless of, of what happens. But the ask from me, I suppose, is simply to make it what I see on the field feel like is represented in the scoring. I suppose Firmino's a, a great example, though. He's a player, a huge element in his team's success. It's not really that valuable on football index. Well, it's not something I've really ever held. Not something I ever really planned to hold, but He's a player I really enjoy watching and, and seeing how he supports that team. So how do you fix that so that the Trents, the Lewandowskis, the Firminos, the Cantes, the, the Neymars, Messis are all rewarded appropriately? It's really difficult. So It's so difficult, isn't it? I mean, would I be absolutely shocked to see kind of uh, presses and passes that break the lines in the next Matrix, whenever that is, in the next two years or three years? Absolutely, I would. I think that is an area of statistics that is still being refined. I mean, if we look at XGX assists, expected statistics, that is still an area that's only emerged quite recently. So things that are more front of mind for traders and not overcomplicating it. I think one of the things we talked about with ASP was 
how many facets to a matrix could you have before this gets so complicated it's very hard for it to become used by millions and millions and millions of traders. But it's certainly something that we might want to talk about more. I mean, HBO, I don't know if you've got any more comments on this. I thought that was a cracking episode, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I read that document page to page. What I liked about it was I was so convinced by what ASP and Luala would say. And I still <laughs> think I am as well. You know, like passes into the box, shots on target for certain areas, that kind of thing. I thought there was some really good additions, simple additions that can be made, which tweak the matrix, but don't you know revolutionize it in a way which changes a bit too much. But then I thought there was some really interesting counters which PB Man came in with and Panda as well and yourself. And you went, well, hang about, what about this? And so I think what economists are talking about is some major changes. And I don't think that's likely to happen because I think, I think it's going to be adjustments. I think it's going to be little tweaks, things which make it more realistic. And I think that's what we saw in that report, the Matrix Reloaded, was, okay, here's some fundamental stuff we can do. Here's also some, some things which make sense, but you're not going to change the Matrix too much. So you're not going to shift that bit too differently. And it's going to be a bit more representative of what's going on on the pitch. And certain players get rewarded a bit more, that kind of thing there. What I'll say in addition to that, just quickly, <laughs> and this is speaking someone who said before about, you know, maybe a touch naive is, I don't mind if the matrix is mega, mega complicated because I don't look into what the matrix is and all the different details of it. I react to it. So who's doing well against it? I'm not looking and saying, so we had to change, start the season, something like that, where it's like, I remember there was a lot of hype around crossing. Crossing was being heavily rewarded. And there was a lot of people getting a bit upset about that. But it was, okay, so this is what's happened. So what's the result of that? How do I react to that? Okay, some players are being rewarded a bit more heavily for it. I won't give you any names. But if they do decide, I don't think this is realistic, but if they do decide to go incredibly complicated with the matrix and they somehow manage to reward people like Fernandinho for putting in tackles in the opposition third and somehow give him three points for it or whatever, I'm perfectly sanguine about that. Because as we talked about before, my style tends to be, hold on a second, let's see where the chips fall on this and then let's trade on the back of that. I might not be the first to react to it, but you know, tend to find it suits myself to be a little bit more playing it safe. Fair enough. Got a question here from another power of yours, Nature Boy, Soccer Index. As we emerge from the current economic climate, what does FI need to do to attract more mid to high net worth individuals, both in terms of advertising and from a product perspective? Okay, so here's a thought on this. So the world I work in right now is cards on the table again. Okay, I'm doing okay in my career. I'm not making megabucks though. If I was making megabucks, you see, I would put a higher number on my portfolio size. Also, I wouldn't be able to get away with the wife. I mean, she never let me do that, but whatever, that's something else. But right, I work with people who are making the megabucks. I'm working with people who are making the decisions in the investment bank, traders, you know, doing this kind of thing. And I'm not sure exactly how to appeal to them, but there's something which did, and I was amazed by it. You guys know it. Do you remember Clash of Clans? Do you remember yeah. that game, Clash yeah. of Clans? Yeah, yeah. I played that game because it was really popular. It was like number one in the app store, that kind of thing. People playing that game. And you build your little thing. I remember thinking, this game is it's like below average. I've played like games before. that Back in the 90s when I was a boy, and I played better games than Clash of Clans. But Clash of Clans did hugely well. And the reason why it did hugely well, or at least what I've been told is, is because you had guys and girls sat on trading floors and they go into meetings together and they'd be sitting on their phones while the MD was saying some stuff and they'd be showing each other their little base, their little Clash of Clans fort or whatever. And you can pay money and you could pay huge loads of money to make it like really high and go up the levels and have a really good base. And they'd look at each other going, oh man, look at this. Oh, I've got this. I've got this cannon or whatever, that kind of thing. That was way better than yours. <laughs> and they were spending tens of thousands of pounds on this. No just way. To show, yeah, just to show they had like That's crazy. bigger balls in the trading room because they got the money to do that because yeah. that counts for something. And I could totally see myself in the old days in the RAF, in the crew room, sat around waiting for the weather to clear so you can go far. I can totally see myself going, mate, look at this. I've got this like 
troll or something like that. And that, <laughs> and it's totally irrational, it's totally nonsensical, but it's about, it's like, it's dick measuring essentially is what it is. Mm. And if FI, <laughs> now I don't know how to translate that into something sensible, but if FI can tap into an element of dick measuring young guys who've got a lot, a lot of disposable income and they're spending it on nonsensical, frivolous things just to sort of show off a little bit, if there's a way that they can move into that somehow, I don't think that's probably good for the market. We want something that's a bit more stable, whatever. But I think there's something there. Just on that, you know, back in the day, you could start off on a trading floor at 16. And by the time you're 22, you're on kind of like near six figures a year. I remember doing a lot of work experience back in the day on trading floors. And some of the people that I kind of shadowed, you know, you had 25, 26 year old guys who paid off a mortgage in London already, had a really nice car, collections of watches and stuff on their desks. These are people that have more money than they know what to do with. I'm not saying that their first port of call is going to be like gambling it away. And obviously FI is kind of adjacent to normal traditional gambling platforms. But if you had some of these people on the platform, they are going to be looking at it with great interests and they're going to probably enjoy it quite a lot. Totally. It's something which I don't know how you can kind of sort of tap into it. I don't know how you can reward it as well, how you can show that you're someone who's longer, if you know what I mean, in the transfer department than someone else who you're sat next to. Where I think they've got a good base <laughs> for Football Index is, and it's something which I don't think it's talked about enough, actually, is the UI, the user interface. I think it's really good. I think it's easy to use. People grumble about it more than they praise it because you just take it for granted. I think you can see your portfolio, the little changes they've made, so you can see your profit and loss. You can see all this kind of stuff. You can go into your place. There's a couple of things where you have to reload things, whatever. They'll, they'll change that with a new update. But it's something which is easy to see. It's easy to show off with as well. All right, again, admitting something here, and this is this makes me sound bad, worse than what I've been saying previously, is I've shown, and this is before I went relatively big on Football Index, I remember showing some mates and saying, guys, this is great fun. You've got to get on this. Look at this. You can look at a player and you can buy him and sell him, that kind of thing. And I showed my portfolio. I could see them. They all went quiet. I could see them all looking at this going, my God. And this is when I had low five figures in there. So nothing like your Dons and your Pandas and your EJs, that kind of thing. I think I remember them looking at it and going, oh my God, he's either crazy or fucking hell, I'm missing out on this. He's making a lot of money. Look at this. <laughs> and there's something there. There's something there where I used to show them, I'll go, yeah, you know, I'm just doing this. It's great. Thing. Guys, get involved with it. It's great fun. You know, kind of stuff <laughs> like that. There's something there on that kind of very small level with me and my mates at the pub, which is there with high net worth individuals as well. They must be thinking about it. Scotland, have you got any ideas? It's a difficult one. I think the approach they've taken, they're starting out in London, trying to get the, the user base initially from there. And definitely with the, the advertising and where they, they initially started to put that good idea, I think going forward as you move into other countries, I think they did talk about in Germany, it is those types of individuals that are, they're looking for, high net worth those that are already interested in, in type of investments already rather than the day-to-day -day gambling community. And I think that's probably the right approach. How do you speed that up? I think a lot of it is um, word of mouth on this type of thing. How do you get somebody to put in several hundred thousand pounds into a football gambling platform that they've never used before? I think coming onto Twitter, seeing guys like Don, seeing guys like ASP with over a million pounds in the platform, Looking at all these different types of, of individuals, how do you get those individuals to come and see that though is the challenge? How do you get them onto to Twitter in this, in this first place? I think probably between us all, we've all got certain connections that we try to get on or can continue to, to do so. As football resumes, Football Index will hopefully continue to try and advertise as best they can. 
advertising signboards. I know that it's going to be a challenge going forward, maybe getting on to the football strips because that's coming under a bit of, of scrutiny because there's so many gambling companies on, on the front of strips these days and maybe coming to an end there. So it's just, I think the way they're doing it at the moment is probably the right path, continuing that advertising. I have talked a bit before about maybe branching out into other cities, into the Bristols, the Manchester, Edinburgh, Glasgow, because you've got quite a lot of financial service staff in those cities, Birmingham as well, and London. So I think, yeah, you focus on these major hubs and let it spread out that way. I think there's a lot they could do. And it's just about getting that kind of system in place. So you have a consistent funnel of people of that caliber coming on the platform. But I'll move us on to the next question because we're running out of time here. Ben Q, do you think King Sancho will fall or rise if he stays or signs a new contract with Dortmund? I think logically his price should rise because it will lead to stringing out another year of transfer media speculation. Now, I was just having a conversation with someone about this, like literally before we came on. And one of the things I said was, one of the things we have to factor in is dividends potentially being higher if it stops, if the transfer doesn't happen this year. And if it does happen next year, then the amount of dividends he could win is potentially bigger, especially if his price doesn't rise significantly. I mean, if you think about Bruno Fernandes, if he went to United last summer rather than January, I don't know if he hits the heights that he did unless he performed straight away, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. It is an interesting one. I think there's a good chance that this happens. I think usually a player that's linked to United can be quite a risky hold if that doesn't come off. But I think Sancho's probably one of the very rare exceptions to that. I'd probably agree he continues to rise if he stays at Dortmund another year. I mentioned before about the, that triple threat. Is that transfer still going to be written about and talked about there if dividends were to increase? He's one of the major beneficiaries of that. So the longer that situation is maintained, the better, right? I can't wait to see him in a Man United strip. I really hope it happens, but I don't think there's really a rush. I think either way, he continues to be one of the better holds on FI. Um, there's an argument about, is his PP better at, at Dortmund? There'd obviously be that stringing out of the media coming to United. Does that media just ramp up forevermore? There's all these balances, but we've seen it in the past. There's no harm in a player not moving that price can, can certainly be maintained and I think he's one who's he's been coming out today talking about how he's not finding it hard but not being with his family back in the UK so London based initially this is a consideration for him and I think that's just going to ramp up it's going to continue so yeah there's always going to be a, a lot of noise about the highest priced players and he's no different but I'll tell you something yeah, I'm not going to be able to add to what Scotland said there but something totally separate from that, which I think isn't that well known about Sancho, maybe in sort of the football community, is he is and he will transcend football. He's that kind of player, that kind of person. And how do I kind of know this? How do I think this? Is that, okay, he's very well known in football circles. We all know about Sancho. He's king of the index for a particular reason. I remember reading an article in a magazine. The magazine's called The Spectator. I don't know if you know about The Spectator. It's largely politics. It's slightly right to centre <laughs> political magazine. They cover you know, what's going on in Parliament. That's the kind of thing. That's their bread and butter. And they have an arts and literature section. Okay, fine. They had an article last year and it was written and they've never done anything. They do nothing on sport. They have a half page column at the back of the sport where some guy writes about rugby and cricket, basically. <laughs> they had a whole page devoted and it was Sancho's coach when he was growing up in Watford. Is around that kind of way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a whole page and this was the page which should have been talking about Brexit at the time, you know, that kind of thing. It was devoted to 
why this kid absolutely transcends the sport. And it was his background, how they knew when he was a child, when his dad, his dad's something else, Sancho, but his dad used to take him, and it was his story about how he used to take him to, I think his dad might have been professional football or something like that, but at a low level, don't matter, I might be getting it wrong, but how he is a generational talent, that he is special. And when you've got a footballer being talked about, not just in everyone who's involved with football, not just in kind of sport in general, but being talked about in something which doesn't cover this kind of thing at all, but it's of interest to people who have no interest in sport because of his talent, because of his background, because of what he's going to become, it lets you know that it's a rare breed. We haven't seen anything like Sancho in a good while. I mean, there's comparisons. I think Rooney's at, I think Beckham's another one in terms of media. I think you're talking about that kind of level of interest, talent, perhaps even more. <laughs> Those ones, that's to be argued. But I think that's what you're playing with when you've got the general public who have no interest in football. They know who he's going to be. They know about his story. They support him. They're going to be watching him. That's really interesting. I can't believe you've given me an, another chance to talk about Mbappe off the back of that. I think he is potentially the only other player that I can think about who does that. He was on the front cover of Time magazine. So that's a, a very similar example. And then when you see him at NBA locker rooms and stuff like that, and they're all like, I think it was Neymar and Mbappe that went there and it was like the whole of the Milwaukee Bucks NBA team were, were like giddy girls being around him. And these are professional athletes that make 30, 40 million dollars a year if they're really, really good at their job, which some of them are in that Bucks team. And they were just like over the moon to be around two of the five best players in football. They couldn't believe it. Yeah, it's really interesting that, you know, they'll be using these guys in FIFA. These players will be playing FIFA and Mbappe's obviously one of the, the biggest talents there. But I think, yeah, what you're talking about, Sancho, transcending sport in general, that's a, a really interesting thing. And I think the world that we're living in is getting more that way. We're sort of moving more towards that kind of culture and that environment. So it'll be interesting to look out, are there any other players that come up? I can't think of many that really fit into to that category. They are a rare breed, as Nature Boy mentioned. And they should be. So that's something to, to obviously keep an eye out in, in the future. Got a question here from EFC Index. Do you watch a lot of football in foreign countries? If so, does this help you in choosing players to invest in? P.S. Love the podcast. Keep it up, Vic. Cheers, mate. We might have to keep these last two relatively short and snappy. Otherwise, we're going to be boring people to sleep. Nature Boy, much international watching from you? No, that's my short <laughs> answer, no. But what I will say, to keep it slightly less short and snappy, is no, I don't. I do recommend it, though, because I think having that kind of round knowledge is, is very useful. What I will say is, Maybe it's an age thing. I used to, I was thinking about this question. I was thinking about when I was a lad back in the 90s, I used to stay up and I used to watch so much football. I used to watch the highlights of the Argentinian domestic league, you know, the Apertura and the Clausura. And I loved River Plate and I hated Boca Juniors. I knew all of their players. And I remember it peaked around about, I think it was Copper America 99. And I think that was just after Danielson broke the world transfer record, he moved to Betis. And I was staying up until three o'clock in the morning to watch Uruguay, Costa Rica or something like that. I absolutely <laughs> loved foreign football. And if I still had that kind of mindset now, I reckon I'd be picking up all of these huge talents coming out of it. Bring back to what I said before is, if you're not inclined that way, afraid what you know. there's people who are, so you can use them. And they're giving this information away on Twitter. So start following them and you'll be able to, and as you say, trade what you know as well, but you can also trade what they're recommending to you. So sometimes there's some real diamonds, there's some nuggets of good information there which you can use and say, okay, here's someone who I might want to invest in. It's a bit of a mean question when we haven't had any football in ages, but <laughs> I don't really watch a huge amount compared to some. Well, we're definitely going to be soon, aren't we? 
we are. Germany coming back on the 15th of May, yeah. Is it a BT Sport? I believe so, yeah. It's going to be interesting how many people are going to be viewing those games. Thankfully, we'll get some football back. It feels like it's been such a a long time. And and it's not really. You know, we have this every every summer. But getting it back, not just for Football Index, but for people in general, it brings back a sense of normality and, yeah, a bit of hope that we're returning to that normality. So it's going to be really positive. Cannot wait. Cannot wait, indeed. Got one last question. This is from your pal De Kaiser again, Nature Boy. Thinking back to your first year on FI, was there a single moment when you thought, yeah, this platform is the real deal and isn't just a dressed up Ponzi? What was that moment? Yeah, Kaiser. <laughs> I'll tell you what it was. It was actually really early for me. And I know there's a perception amongst outsiders. When I've tried to explain this to people who aren't on the index, I kind of say, hang on a second. They had the same doubts that I kind of had. People are sort of semi financially literate and they think they're a little, you know. And they go, well, but you know, what do you actually, what do you own? What are you buying here? You know, how does it go up on that kind of stuff? And you say, it's a bet. And we all know this is the hoary old arguments that we know. It's a bet. You're taking a bet against the index that your player is going to earn more dividends over three years. And again, we know all the ramifications around that and the fact that it's been extended. It's going to earn more money than what you paid for. But you've also got that cash out option, which means you can sell him, which is why young players are heavily valued because this expectation that you're going to be able to sell him on at a price and that they will earn dividends for the person who buys it off you. There's that side of it. The thing that made me think it wasn't a Ponzi was really early on, because I came in, and I don't know if you remember this, you guys have probably been on even longer than I have. Certainly you have figs. Sorry, Scotland. I might not recall when you started. But it was autumn 2018. And I joined in, and Kaiser convinced me, and he said, right, six money in this, I'll suck some money in it. And it was the old 500 quid, I think it's still going, 600 quid in, get your money back after a week. I lost a bit of money, because it was a real stagnant period in the market. I think it was when IPDs had come in, everyone was whinging about it, they didn't like it. And then, you know, prices were dropping. And I thought, oh, hang on a second, this is kind of real. You know, this isn't just put your money in this and everything goes up, easy money. No, 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 this is real. You've got to make sound decisions. You've got to back them up with multiple reasons for them. You've got to come in and out at the right time, or you can lose money in this. I did. Initially, I got my fingers burnt, not a lot at the time, because I wasn't going too heavily in it at the time. I think it might have been when they give clean sheet IPDs for goalkeepers, something like that. And that came in. And the market went absolutely crazy for goalkeepers. And I think defense got the same thing as well. Should be knowing this better than I do. And then everyone started buying all these goalkeepers. And I was like, and I was looking up, we were all going, right, everyone, get on bloody old black and get on Allison, things like that. And the prices shot up. And then I got in on a few of them. Money went up and I went, yes. Aren't I great arrogance coming in? Wasn't humble. I thought, yes, here we go. Kaiser said to me, you need to get out of them quickly because they're going to go back down again. And I went, oh, what are you talking about? They're valuable now. My PDs have come in for them. They're going to keeping clean sheets. It's money. It's money. It's free money. There you go. And the value went down. I lost money. I ended up losing money on that. So I came in just ahead of the peak, but then didn't sell before they dropped below that. And so that's when I knew that if you're not careful about this, if you're not making decisions that you can justify, then it is an Ponzi. In fact, it's a way that if you're not doing it rightly, you can lose. It is that bet. Scotland, I don't know if you had any similar stories. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite as such, but I've never really had a, a point where I thought, you know, this is a Ponzi or I've got any major reservations about it. I think my confidence has grown over the time, but there's nothing that's really changed my opinion massively over, right, okay, now it's time to chuck because this has been cleared up for me. I did end up a month or so ago, post Black Thursday, whatever we're calling it. I'm not sure quite what date that was, but sort of when the market bottomed out 3 4 5% from its peak. And decided at that point, Football Index's response, where I saw it going forward, it was time to chuck in a, a bit more money. So I put in a, a significant amount over the last month or so, and it's paid off so far. 
I think I'm comfortable with that decision going forward. I think it's only improving so my intention is to, to be putting in on a fairly regular basis, not necessarily every month, but when I see opportunity quite set in terms of my portfolio for longer term, I'm looking to top up on some of these guys, but new money I'll be putting in as PB football comes back and I see opportunities there. Nothing that's changed my mind significantly other than just seeing all these small improvements, small enhancements and more confidence from other people as well. And that's a major part of it, seeing how others are reacting to certain events. So I'm to work off that. Awesome. I mean, I think honestly, before I go into kind of some deep conversation there as well, I think we might have to put a pin in it because we are almost at two hours and this has been the longest pod in a little while. Nature Boy, where can people find out more about you? I'm on Twitter. It's Football Index Nature Boy, or I think it's at FI Nature Boy, something like that. The bulk of what I'm doing is sort of picking up on people's errors when they talk about like all-time Premier League goal scorers instead of all-time English top flight goal scorers, which is the real record, you know. <laughs> but there might be some useful stuff in there as well. So give me a follow if you're fancy. Scotland? Yeah, for me, it's Football Index Scotland at High B Index. And there's not a great deal of content coming out here. More of a wind-up merchant at times. I'll add into bits and bobs, but yeah. I think we've talked about this a bit before. It's important to follow as many people out as you can. There's lots of really good knowledge out there. So that's typically what I, I do, try to get a, a breadth of that, that understanding. So do that yourselves. <laughs> bit of a wind-up merchant, fair enough. If you guys are commuting, still commuting out there as an essential worker, then keep up your amazing work. If you're not commuting, doing whatever you're doing, staying safe, I hope, then please do enjoy this podcast. Please do leave a review and all that jazz. Sorry if we didn't get to answer all your questions. I probably chose too many as it is. I should have culled a few more. Football Index is a gambling platform. Only bet what you can afford to lose and stop when the fun stops. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Have a great day. <laughs>